0: We're live all right so this is data science deployed uh i think we're on episode nine or ten and today we are going to talk about computer vision with label studio with my co-host ben cook and donny winston so ben i know you're using label studio in a project uh like currently which is not something that i can quite say so why don't you head us off with what you're using label studio for and a bit about how that's all working out for you
1: yeah so i'm new to label studio but um have been doing annotation for computer vision for a long time. Um, And I guess just, just by way of introduction to the value of label studio at my previous gig, we rolled our own data annotation tool. And um, there were some nice things about that, like total control over the annotation interface, but there were a ton of headaches, just, you know, you've got to like host the web application. You've got to think about authentication. You've got to store all the annotations and, and every new problem you have to solve from scratch. And these are all problems that are essentially solved. Um, and you know, you know, we're, we're a machine learning engineering team, capable software developers, but uh, not really experts in building web applications. So, uh, Label Studio basically provides the the ability to run a, a fairly like world class uh, web application for annotations without being an expert in all the details of it. Um, so, yeah, now I am using Label Studio currently for one project, although I'm expecting that to ramp up fairly quickly. Um, and it's great. I, I deployed it to AWS. Um, it's I, I was able to put a, um, a domain in front of it with HTTPS. The customer just thinks it's great. They they log into a dedicated domain. It's all secure uh, images and video or images and annotations go straight to S3 like read from s3 and then annotations are written to s3. Um, And I think so far, it's a really good experience. It's, it's, uh, you have a lot of like configurability about how you set up these jobs. Um, The API is really good. So you can you can sort of uh, write commands programmatically instead of going through the UI. Um, And they have an amazing slack community. So it's very easy to get support answer questions. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty bullish. So far, I'm just using the open source version of it. Um, although I know they have an enterprise version with extra features, and um, that's something that is potentially interesting as well. So yeah, I think I think it's a great a great way to solve the annotation problem without having to build it from scratch.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to plus one. Uh, the Slack community. I've been using Label Studio for a little bit, although not quite as much recently because I haven't been on so many computer vision um, projects lately, but I know when I first started using it, I was having like some kind of issue and I was really breaking my brain over it. And I went on the Slack community and asked about it. And I had like a pull request with the, you know, with the commit message and everything that answered my question right in there. And I think like five or 10 minutes, it was ridiculous. Um, So yeah, they're they're all really, really friendly. And uh, they seem to take sort of like, you know, community kind of input and questions and things quite seriously. So that's always really nice to have. Did you guys watch the webinar from this last weekend? I'll make sure to link to that in, uh, in the show notes.
1: I didn't watch it. I wonder if you could give us the TLDR.
0: Oh, it was showing how to integrate um, Label Studio with this tool called, I think it's called Active loop.ai which i think is supposed to be a little bit like this tool called data version control that we were talking about a few weeks ago but essentially it's this idea of um creating version data sets but it integrates quite nicely with label studio and then i guess it has like also some kind of performance boost as well that it um like because it's it's smart so when it's like reading and writing data it caches and does things cleverly and all that sort of thing but it was also very interesting because You know, more and more I'm seeing these kind of um, hosted services, I guess, because, you know, cloud and storage and everything like that has gotten so much cheaper where it's like, why would I bother hosting this? I'm going to go host this on, you know, on active. uh, I think it's called Active Loop. I'll make sure to check that and put it in the show notes. You know, where the I'm not sure if it's the whole I don't think it's the data set. You still store the data set itself in your own S3, but maybe like metadata or the roles or permissions or something like that. Or you just sign up for an account with them. I'm not. I'm not completely sure what the deal is because I haven't used it, but I just thought that was really interesting to see, uh, you know, like yet another case of let's have this, you know, let's have this code, not even something that I install locally. It's like code as a service. So I just thought that was really interesting. So they went through instant segmentation uh, using this active loop project with label studio. And actually the guys from label studio sent it to me in the Slack chat because they know that's what I do is the instant segmentation stuff. So I was, you know, I felt very famous on the internet for like a good minute there.
2: That's cool. Yeah. I, I, I haven't watched that, uh, webinar either, but it, I, would like to get to it. Um, ben, I, am in, interested in uh, what you mentioned about, uh, configurability to set up jobs and an API. So I'm kind of wondering, okay, it sounds easy, um, to get something up in front of people in the browser and they do a bunch of stuff. Um, but, but then what? What, what, is, what does the data look like? Um, do you kind of have to read the API and understand how, how things are? Do they align with any other existing um, standards or data formats for, for annotation like, to play well with other tools? Like, like how do you then you know, go from, from that annotation step to, to something else? And, and, and how, how, much, how interpretable is that data
1: as is? yeah that's a great question um so they out of the box they have multiple different export formats um the i think by default it's stored in json on your your file storage either like s3 or or whatever like cloud storage you you want Um, but they definitely do have some kind of compatibility with some standard formats. so like um, coco format is kind of popular for object detection um and i don't I, I can't say I, I don't fully understand basically like what's the supported way to go from this JSON format that they use to Cocoa or, or some other like standard format. But I think there is a, my understanding is there's a fairly straightforward way to get there, um, through the tool. And, and the other thing that I know they have is webhooks. So you can, you can hook into specific events and then trigger some other API that you set up when, when that event occurs. Um, so that's another area that I've not really explored yet, but I think it's a pretty powerful concept for like, you know, every time a new task gets annotated, I wanna trigger some job to sort of like compare it against my model or um, yeah, or update my data set, you know, with some other, other job. Um, personally, I like that it's just JSON on S3. So, um, you know, the rest of my work is in Amazon and, and AWS. So it's, it's very straightforward to grab those JSON files, snapshot the data set with something like DVC. Um, and then it's right there for training and, and other stuff I wanna do. The, the other thing I know they have is that I have not explored, but I think is is a pretty powerful concept is a explicit machine learning integration. So this idea of active learning of like, okay, I tag a handful of examples, I train my model. Now I, I sort of like run inference on a bunch of new images and pre-populate all the annotations and then have a human just go through and correct those. It's like that correction step is so much faster than tagging something from scratch. Um, And they're, they're really sort of like designing for that scenario, I think. Um, So again, I'm basically an amateur, like doing just like the simplest possible workflow right now. But um, my impression is they've thought of a lot of sort of important scenarios for, for doing this at scale. And, um, and they're sort of like, Building with with those things in mind.
2: Okay, yeah. The reason I'm I'm thinking about that is recently I've I've, I've come across this. Um, I mean, when you, when you mentioned setting up jobs, I, I, there's this um, effort called the Open Lineage specification that that a bunch of tools are using to try and you know uh, coordinate around the, the terminology of jobs and job runs and data sets and versions of them and, and trying to plug into things like Airflow and DBT and Dagster and various things. Um, and I'm also aware of just in the annotation space, um, there's, there are things like the, the W3C annotation standard um, that, that some people use. So regardless of what actual on-disc thing, whether it's JSON or XML or whatever, just in terms of actual vocabularies that are, that are used so that, you know, for, for example, uh, you know, you're doing something with Airflow, and, and that has a bunch of jobs, and then Label Studio has a bunch of jobs, and it all maybe goes through this this open lineage thing, and you can just you know view on on a tool like what what data sets were done what, and you know just that that sort of thing rather than just kind of like a local vocabulary. So I was just wondering if, if there is anything like that with Label Studio. There, there there might be. I mean you're sort of just diving into it, um, but when I deal with a lot of like tool interactions uh, with, with different um, Different data science activities. I, I've been paying a little more attention to how things kind of that's harmonize. Yeah, um, yeah, I, because otherwise you, you'll just Similarity. have a lot of point, to, a lot of point-to-point point ETL um, with with a lot of solutions. Which it sounds like that that's that's maybe the the general case with Label Studio. You kind of get the output format, you read the documentation about what the field means, and you, you write an ETL script to get it into whatever analysis tool you want. Um, but yeah, that's interesting about that.
0: Yeah, I did want to just kind of point out, um, they do have a tool to at least convert among the formats that I use pretty heavily. I think I did like the default throw it in JSON format when I was using it. And when I used it for a project, uh, all these other features weren't quite as like, well, you know, like well established because it was, I think it was before the 1.0 release. Uh, so they have, they have like a tool that can convert between the different formats and what I did was I just used airflow in the background. But that's just kind of might be me and like my when in doubt, I just throw airflow at stuff. And then I had it just, you know, like pooling for um, these different files. And I think I did something kind of silly, like on my when I was labeling things, I had like a complete or invalid tag on there, too, that was just a checkbox. So then after it was like, okay, we find 20 of these um, 20 of these images that are labeled and they're complete and they're validated that then it would start a new training job because I found the job queue, at least when I was using it, anyways, wasn't well suited towards the uh, towards like a very large training job, which I was using this for high content screening images, which tend to be, you know, quite large. So I still wanted to have the hooks to kind of send that elsewhere, but I did find, you know, with Label Studio, I could do that. So I do think it has the capability that you can train in house or you can go hook it up um, to something else, either with the web hooks or just, you know interacting with the database. Um, I'm very into this like open API schema lately that you can get from everything, that then you can like use that. And then you can use the open API generator to like generate you code absolutely everywhere else. So then you can generate, you know, different SDKs for different languages. And then you can just, you know, like use that to call uh, like all of your other stuff. Like, so for example, Airflow has one now, they have their own open API specification. Um, Strappy is another one that I've been getting into. Superset has it too. So all my tools now, like they're all using the Open API specification, and then I can just run around and you know just compile the the code to different uh, to different SDKs and things. But yeah, you can do you can definitely do all that with Label Studio too.
2: I, I want to harp harp on that too. You know, I was mentioning you know one of the key benefits of Label Studio for him is that uh, you don't have to do web development, you know, you can sort of deploy this tool that's based, in the, that, that's, that's based in the, in the browser um, and, and people can essentially create create the data, do what they need to do. And I definitely see that also with with the open API. Um, so I've, I've deployed, you know, um, tools built with, with Python's fast API that expose an open API, and they kind of have the swagger front end. And um, people who don't want to use programmatic uh, you know stuff um, I can I can train them to just use that automatic front end you know here's how you authorize here's how you you know click to enter in this endpoint and, and each of the parameters you know if it's an enum it'll have a drop down you know or you can enter a string here and, and so it's, it's really nice it's kind of a very minimal UI um, not very user friendly necessarily but but you can train someone on it and it, it's there and it's in the browser. Um, so that's kind of another benefit of this this kind of thing and and uh having a standard like that if it's an OP, open api someone else can work on on that front end and, and develop that swagger front end and do it um so that's that's great yeah
0: so ben what are you labeling with your uh with your labeling topic? Yeah. i think we need to hear about this
1: yeah i'm labeling cow heads so the basically the the end goal is facial recognition for cows and that ties into a bigger system. Um, But one to to do facial recognition, you need identities and it's um, the, that's sort of an interesting problem because basically you, you can use a combination of where the cow is and the, the tag on their ear. But a lot of times the tag is not visible. Um, The tag changes from, from location to location. So um, so basically it's a, a, multi-step thing. Like right now we're getting all the heads and we're going to do a train an object detector to find cow heads, and then we'll track those cow heads and create little cropped videos. Um, oh, the other, the other problem I didn't, I didn't say is that, uh, the way they'll collect these videos is they'll drive down a, a feed bunk. So they'll stick a camera out, out the truck and just drive down the feed bunk while they the cows are sticking their heads through and, and eating this feed, And so you get videos with a bunch of cows in them and we want to create still images of individual cows with known identities. Um, so yeah, basically right now we cut out heads, get, get sort of like boxes of the heads, then we'll train a, a head tracker and create little like crop videos of individual cows. And if you get a a view of the tag, then you can identify who's that cow. And then you get the whole video of sort of like cutouts that you can use uh, as images to train the, the facial recognition system. So yeah, multi-step thing and that, um, yeah, like that, that's makes it important to have somewhat of a flexible annotation system because right now we're doing heads, but soon it's going to be like, look at this video and figure out what the ID of that cow is. Um, yeah.
0: Cool. Sounds like an interesting problem. At least it is I like interesting. Problems yeah. that have like a couple steps to them. Yeah. So uh,
2: I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about how does label studio facilitate? Um, like like where does label studio end, and other things. Begin like, like like kind of like what is what is its wheelhouse or has been for you, and what are the things maybe it's capable of, um, or maybe not. But but they're definitely kind of things that that happen it outside of it. Um, yeah yeah. Just just to get a bit more sense of like if your whole process maybe through the example that you just talked about, you know what what parts of of that are sort of like okay happening. now someone goes to label yeah. studio. And then, and then, and then they exit. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of worried about kind of not uh, not no worried. I'm I'm interested in kind of what part of of the life cycle.
1: You know, yeah. I think, yeah. I think I um, think. So again, I'll, I'll just like disclaimer that I'm I'm sort of an amateur with Label Studio, but basically, the way I'm thinking about it is it's it's both sort of task management for human labelers. And it is hosting the UI for actually labeling those images or videos. Um, and I think it can do other things, but I'm, I'm comfortable using other tools for the the rest of the development lifecycle, at least at this point. Um, so, yeah, but, um, but it's, it's, it's pretty cool that you can do multiple steps in that process. Cause like I, I need humans at multiple stages of this, this project. Like I need humans to help me find heads of the cows. Then I'm going to automatically create a bunch of, of these like cropped videos. And I need humans to go through and watch and say, oh yeah, that's tag one, seven, three, four. This is tag five, four, three, two. Um, and like both of those sort of like, like interface for humans to help me figure out what this data says yeah that that i think is the sort of like central wheelhouse of of label studio the like yeah critical feature
2: yeah are, are there are there things that that kind of i guess based on on your your users experience like that were like the default out of the box ui experience of label studio you kind of want to want to customize or like maybe can i just change this yeah. little thing and like are, are there hooks into that or do you or, or is it sort of like well i need to fork the code base and maintain a fork like like how does how have you encountered that that kind of idea where like this tool is, is great but now i want to change it a little bit so so like yeah. like what what is the what is the relationship between the size of your conceptual change in your mind to, to the to the size of the actual kind of changed implementation challenge to, to get that out
1: yeah i think that's a great question and my my ideal uh, tool would allow me to write my own react components and, and create completely custom tagging jobs. Um, you know, when you're, when you're tagging a million images, you care about fractions of a second in, in terms of efficiency and how fast, how fast it goes. And uh, that's definitely something that I, I saw that as an advantage of, of rolling our own annotation tool at my previous gig. It It was sort of like, the the cons outweighed the the pros in that case because we had to do all this other maintenance and, and support that was not value add. But I think like simple things like okay, I want the cursor to be a, a crosshairs instead of a pointer, and I want I want to extend a little like uh, light gray line to the to the sort of extremes of the image with the cursor so you can see where the box is going to land. And um, these like tiny little UI patterns that can actually make a big difference in terms of speed for your for your tagging team um definitely label studio gives you some customization so they've got this xml format that allows you to sort of like mix and match tags for the the sort of like uh sample input so you can have like audio or video or images or text or whatever and then some kind of like input tag for you know free form text or uh, selection or bounding boxes or whatever um, So I think definitely there's ability to mix and match those things. You also, one of the inputs can be HTML. So in principle, that could be an iframe to a YouTube video or something else. What I don't don't know, I'd love to be wrong about this, but I don't think is possible is for me to write my own React component as a plugin and sort of like somehow import that into the, the tagging job. So I don't get full flexibility of what does that tagging job look like. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong about that. I like, I, I think that would be an amazing feature. Um, I think otherwise, I think if you want to write custom jobs, I think basically you'd have to fork the front end. Um, you know it's open source, so you're free to do that, but you, you give up some of the benefit of, I don't have to actually maintain this, this system if you do that. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I know one potential um, solution, I don't know how much of a solution this is specifically with Label Studio because I haven't done it, is this idea of using like a single backend and then adding uh, different, and Flask, they're called like different routers. So you could have like, you know, backend slash app one, backend slash app two, and they could have completely different front ends, right? Like they don't, um, you know, one could have the typical Flask, the the Jinja templates and the static HTML and all that kind of thing. And then the other one could be like an Angular uh page that's being spun up and all this kind of stuff so i mean i i want to say that's still a possibility that you could that's true just use the api that calls yeah that just you know so get a docker image called i think the back end of label studio was written in django um have like the default view that it has with the react front end and then also to just have like an additional view um, this maybe even being served separately or something like that that's completely your own front end. I don't know though, that's because really I haven't I haven't like really tried it. I've only used the XML stuff. But you could. I've been doing that lately. Um, because as you know, web development is is not my wheelhouse. And I have some, you know, and there was like some things I was like, oh, I just need one, you know, like one like customized page here. I don't want to throw out the whole front end for, you know, just to have like this one page. So I wound up like throwing it on as like slash app or something and then um i don't know I, I managed to get like the cookies and stuff set up although that was that was like a mission for me so that the authentication stayed the same and stuff like that so i think you can do that and i mean they do have their front end it is just an npm package yeah so my feeling is that you could get it and then like it would have different components in there but i'm not i think not, that's a good point
1: i, I, I didn't think I'm about not totally that really sure yeah I I, I, like you. You mentioned something like that, and I I, I didn't connect the dots until you just said, like, oh, yeah, just use their backend and and write your own front end or extend their own front end. I think that's a really good point.
0: Yeah, I'm looking so, like, I you know, because I can't help myself. uh, I went and I actually looked at their GitHub for the Label Studio front end, and it is an NPM package. And then within there, they do have the SRC components. And it, I mean, like, it looks like their components are pretty well separated. So, um i don't know i mean yeah again i haven't tried to build anything customized and i don't i don't have really any intentions of building any front-end custom web code uh ever but i think you could theoretically yeah you
1: totally could that's that's a really good point
0: so there you go ben that's your project thank you back to us next week tell us all how it went Yeah, yeah i found it really interesting um the label studio thing because what I was doing was, so initially before I found Label Studio, the only solution that I found that did a good job with the, giving like an annotation interface to, uh, to my end users was this, it was like a Python GUI called label image. And it was really good for what it did, but it was a GUI, which meant that I had to do desktop support. And uh, I don't know if I've talked about how I feel about desktop support, but I don't want to have to do it. So, you know, so like there was that, and then also these images, that we were dealing with were quite large. So then it was like, you know, I had to go do more desktop support because they were on like an NFS file store. And then I had to go and like mount them to people's desktop computers so that they could go and access and do labeling. And then you had people like clobbering each other because there was no, uh, you know, like roles and integration and all that. So it was just, it was like a lot of like IT maintenance for me, which I find that if you have a web application, it it just gets rid of so much of that because it's like, you know, I mean, whatever. You can still have NFS, but you can have, um, you know, you can have, like, role-based authentication on top of that. Or, you know, you just you just have, like, one place that you're managing all that from, which I, I find to be very helpful in, uh, you know, like, if you're in, like, a support staff kind of role, like I used to be. Are you doing any of that, Ben? Are you managing, like, a team of people who are labeling, uh, like, who are labeling different image sets and everybody has sort of, like, you do one through 10. And so person A does one through 10 and person B does 11 through 20 and, you know, so on and so forth or.
1: Yeah. So we're doing, we're doing that in a very simple way right now. So the, my client has a team of interns basically. um, And a bunch of people are just kind of going from a single, a single list and, and tagging through it. Um, We, in my previous roles, we used to manage those with just spreadsheets. So lots and lots of Google sheets and links to individual tasks. And, um, actually it's, it's a little bit hacky, but I actually don't mind spreadsheets as a way to do that because you, it's so flexible and like you, you get a little bit of automation in terms of sort of assigning groups of jobs to different people, uh, randomization. Um, but you don't have to have the perfect job management tool. Um, so yeah, I, I think like that would actually work nicely in this like in this scenario because each task has its own URL. So you could create a spreadsheet of URLs and then assign, okay, I want you know person A to do this block of tasks and this person B to do this block. Um, we because we're tagging a small amount for this first pass, we haven't messed with that yet, but um, I imagine that is something I or, or the team will be looking at pretty seriously in, in the near future.
0: Oh, well, I know um, you definitely can because I had one of the guys on my team knew Django really well, which is which is the back end. And so if you know it really well, it's like it's quite extensible. And so then you can go in there and I think you pretty easily added in like the um, like role based authentication or adding in like an additional data set or something like that, or like a grouping for the for the data sets that was then assigned to people. I don't remember what the exact solution was, but it was it was something like that. It was quite similar.
2: Yeah, I I, uh, I worked on a, a Django system, and I can uh, I can plus one the the extensibility of that sort of thing. It, it, I don't know if it would, it would uh, apply in this case, but in general, there's this idea of of a, of a Django app, and like you know, like the whole administrative interface is is an app, and like so, like you can you can just add. You can have one or more Django apps in a given Django project, which is the actual website that you you deploy, and a lot of them can can uh, interact with each other, and and that was really nice. I was doing something, and like there was a Django app for that, and it basically gave me a bunch of backend routes, and it managed its own database tables, and I could like hook into those models and and do stuff with it. Um, so, that's that's always a possibility. Yeah, I, I like the, yeah. the systems that, that that can do that. Um, yeah, I was I, I was just thinking a bit about that. Like those kinds of systems seem really nice for just the kind of work we do, or where we kind of want to want to build things, um, but not have to have to build too much and have to have to build from scratch. Um, like you mentioned, you sort of you sort of know like you can work at a given level of sophistication. Like like I know how to do a React component. If I can work at that level, compose those, that's great. But if I have to start all the way at the bottom of like a blank HTML page and like let's let's you know import React and let's let's do all this stuff. It, it gets a little hard, um, and yeah, I, I, I think I think that that's 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 a way to go for a lot of things. I, I imagine Label Studio wasn't designed as like a a component toolkit for building annotation UIs. Yeah,
1: um,
2: but that's but that, that's, that, that's the sort of thing that. Um, that can have a lot of power. Um, I, I'm reminded by analogy. I just want to throw this in there because I, I remembered it. Um, in 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 trying to wonder how how planetary motion worked, um, you know, Copernicus had all these 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 complicated this complicated theory that was built out of circular paths, and and, and things were really complicated. But then uh, once Kepler built on like a more sophisticated building block rather than circles, you could consider elliptical orbits. Um, then, then all of a sudden the math became a lot simpler because you, you, could, you could construct something with a slightly more sophisticated building block. And so I, I noticed that with, with a lot of things where, where, where it's like, I don't necessarily want to like, you know, add a, a click handler at the JavaScript level for this particular thing and like really go down at the very bottom level. Um, I, I want to sort of work at a higher level. I mean. The, the interesting thing as programmers, I don't know if like I have an electrical engineering background and it's almost like as programmers, we can always pick up a soldering iron and, and just just start <laughs> adding a new circuit component and we don't we don't always want to work at that level. Um, um, but but that, that's where a lot of the danger comes in because it can, it can be convenient if you know a little JavaScript, you take a whole interface and you're like, oh, I just want to change the cursor to be that. Let me find the line of code where that happens and I'll just change that thing And it's like, oh boy. I just I just rewired something um, but we kind of want to avoid that uh, yeah totally sorry a bit of a non sequitur there but
1: <laughs> hopefully on related to our topic no yeah I, I agree I think it's customizing
2: and tools and wanting to build on them that, that, are, that have great functionality and not wanting to reinvent things
1: I, yeah. I think I think like given that I don't want to reinvent things, the question then is like, what's the right level of abstraction for me to work at with any given tool? So like, yeah, with label studio as, as a great example, uh, maybe I should just, just, you know, be happy with, be content with the, the object detection UI that they give me and not, not worry about, you know, the, the minute interaction patterns. Um, I think it's a constant balance to get it right. Right, the
0: more you I know, default it's so to it. hard. Yeah. It's so tempting to be like, Oh, look at this thing. I can I can totally just go and, you know, customize <laughs> it and write a whole new thing and then but then you have to maintain the thing and that's that tends to be where right. it all kind of comes down maintain, to the document. Yeah. Oh uh, explain it to other people, debug it when things go wrong. Yeah, I've been uh very much challenging myself lately to niche down even more on my tech staff I thought that I was already and then uh and then I had to maintain stuff and it turns out that I wasn't so you know I
1: think that that is a a hard problem with computer vision I'm sure it's true in other sub disciplines as well but um it's hard to niche down like you you do need annotation and that's basically web development and you do need sort of serious training with GPU instances and that's sort of like cloud infrastructure problems and Um, You need, you know, a deep learning framework and that's like, can be fairly detailed Python uh, software writing and uh, it's hard to say like, okay, this is the, this is the tech that I'm really going to focus on. If you want to build a good computer, uh, computer vision application, you kind of have to span a lot of different technologies.
0: Yeah, I found that to be the case for, you know, really any data science or machine learning technology, you need like, you know, just you have to tackle the data from so many different viewpoints we were talking about that before the call where i was like well i want a whole i want a data visualization pipeline that goes along every step of a next generation sequencing pipeline um and be able to look at the data from like any given angle you know at any point in its analysis and then you know so you have to have that and then you have to have like you know and that's just like sort of like a view of just raw data right that's not even doing any analysis or any interpretation or annotation or Um, you know, like what we were talking about setting up permissions or uh, anything like that. So once you get a lot of data, I think your life gets, uh, more complicated, more interesting too, but also more complicated, Yeah,
1: more fun, but more complicated.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. And then this, this harkens back to what, what, um, what I was asking about earlier with, with the the data formatting and maybe what vocabulary it uses. And I've, I've been, uh, increasingly enamored with the idea of data centricity and the the idea that that applications might come and go um and, and like if, if at all possible you don't want your data to just be um your applica a given application's uh external ram you know where you, you kind of have to like understand the application in order to understand that stuff on disk um and uh yeah, because 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 then you can sort of, you know, take it or leave it. A given annotation application to you know, transition to a new annotation application because the data is just all it's it's how computer vision annotation data is stored. You know, yeah. so whether you use Label Studio or whatever, uh, it, it shouldn't matter. Um, and that's it's a difficult proposition, but but again, yeah, because tech stacks like change and, and everything. Um, yeah, I'm increasingly interested in sort of sort of that for the same reason that, that that Jillian mentioned. If you have like a large pipeline where you have lots of different applications touching the data, you want to visualize it every step, you know, the one common denominator there is is, is 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 the data. And so it's it's really nice if each of those applications can kind of pick into the into the to this one data store and do stuff and then drop new information back into that data store that another application can then pick up. And so kind of the the data is the center thing rather than, yeah, lots of ETL from one applications format to another. Um, and I don't, I don't know how, how we'll get there a lot of things, but I'm, I'm definitely in terms of decreasing, uh, technical debt and integration debt. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in looking at tools that are not just, just open source, but that use these open protocols and models in order in an attempt to, to play well with, with others. Um, but but it, it, it's—it's—I don't know. It's an interesting thing. What are some other alternatives in this space that maybe you, you considered or, or or looking at other than, than Label Studio? Um, that yeah, that, that that may be involved in some sort of standardized effort for computer vision annotation data or or, or, or something like that. Yeah. Are, are there any other other tools that kind of that play well with Label Studio? Mm-hmm.
0: The only other one I used um, that I really like intensely looked at was this tool called label image, which is which was the desktop GUI written in Python with, I think, like PyQt QT or, uh, you know, like one of those frameworks and it was great. I mean, it did everything that I wanted for it to do. I even put in like a feature request to the developer and he answered it in like a day or, you know, something, something like that. Um, so it was really good and it did. It did do exactly what I wanted for it to do. And I was even able to customize it a little bit pretty quickly. And things like that. The only other one that I'm seeing come up is I'm starting to see Dash put some uh, like computer vision annotation functionality up, but I haven't personally seen anything quite that I think of as quite as full featured as Label Studio. So, like with Label Studio, for example, I don't really think of myself as having to do application development. Uh, When I was using it, I did have to feed it that configuration of like these are the these are the different types of annotations. So, you know, this is the image and these are the different things that we could be looking for within the image. And then like how to set up the the UI in terms of like, I want for this uh, this column to be this wide and to have this many rows and that kind of thing. I don't really consider that to be application development. Although, you know, the line does get kind of fuzzy. Whereas with Dash, it doesn't seem like they've built it out enough yet that it's really something like that I can say, okay, this this is gonna be my computer vision Uh, labeling annotation platform. I don't know if, I don't like know if they have plans for anything to do that. I did play with um, some of their, you know they have quite nice galleries and things if you just go to their website and you can play around with it. And it was nice, I did like it. What about you Ben, what else did you, uh, what other tools did you evaluate?
1: I haven't, I'm not aware of any other really strong open source tools that are are flexible and, and sort of close to match the features of Label Studio. The other, the other tools I've evaluated are proprietary. Uh, just basically they uh, expose it as a SaaS. Um, label box is one that I think is pretty good. And I've heard good things about V7, although I haven't actually personally um, evaluated it. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think those are good options. I think, I think they're good ways to tie those to a, a labeling workforce. Um, yeah. I, I, we were talking about the right level of abstraction. I want like, slightly lower level access than just like you know a uh, username and password um, but i th- i think those are pretty good options
2: cool uh, just just to throw in throw in one thing that um I, I haven't used used personally um but but i know about it uh i don't know through the there's this natural language processing library in, in python that, that's quite popular called spacey um and there's 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 a company that that does a lot of the that has the main developers on it it's called explosion.ai and they have this this tool called prodigy um, which is an annotation tool um, and it does look like they, they do computer vision stuff as well images as well as labels um so I, but I haven't gotten into any like output formats or anything. But I, I'm just I'm kind of wondering, um, if, you know, if if anyone has sort of done that, like tried to label things with one or the other and like combine them. Um, but I, I could definitely see that as uh, that being an important thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, haven't
1: tried
0: no me neither recently all that i've really used is label studio and i've been happy enough with it um that i just keep using that
2: yeah.
0: oh i know uh i don't think we talked about it but i do know that label studio also does some language processing features. I don't do that like at all. So I have uh, really no idea what that's about, but it's there in case anybody is like, you know, why aren't we talking about it? Because we don't, we don't know, or at least I don't know. I haven't used it for that. I only used either. it for yeah. Computer vision tools. Yeah, you don't know either? Okay. I was actually working uh, when I was, when last semester for the, STEM away students, they were doing like a natural language processing going over like research papers or something like that. I'll have to ask them what they used. Okay, but I think uh, we're getting to be here at time. So do you guys have any kind of last comments to wrap up our conversation about computer vision annotation and label studio?
1: I don't have much else to say other than I'm really grateful for the label studio team and uh, they're doing really great work and I'm I'm hoping to learn more.
2: Yeah, I just wanted yeah, thanks <laughs> you both for talking about your experience. I mean, I, I really love um, that that it, it's it's open source. I think that's that's a really important thing. I, I just checked in this this other tool I mentioned, Prodigy, is is not. Um, but it's, I think that's that's kind of really, really nice for moving an ecosystem forward. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I, I uh, thank you. Nothing else to add.
0: <laughs> uh, thanks, you guys. All right, well, I think uh, we're all done for the day. So bye, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.